Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. You know, it's an absolute pleasure as you go through your career and you come across people who've worked at places that you've worked at and then you suddenly discover that they've done so much more than you ever did while you were there. Daisy Turnbull is the most remarkable person. She is a teacher. She has just finished up a position as, a, as Director of Wellbeing at St Catherine School in the beautiful suburb of Waverley in Sydney. She's an accredited lifeline crisis support counsellor. She regularly volunteers. She's a mum with two children. She's got bachelor's degrees in arts and commerce, a grad dip in secondary teaching, a master's of arts in theological studies. She crochets. She's written a book, 50 Risks to Take with Your Children. She's a regular writer for the Sydney Morning Herald in the presence of this ridiculous overachiever. I am so excited to learn more about what she's been doing and the contribution she is making right across education in Australia. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor and their exciting new app, Voyage? Of course, Adriano, A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. Voyage is a purpose-driven way for students to plan their future, experience life and thrive. They'll map and evaluate their progress on their journey as they build their character and the healthy habits that support it. Mentors and peers can check in on them and provide reflection and feedback as their crew. Best of all, it's free. Search Voyage on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store or visit the link in the description to find out more. Life's an adventure. Let's go. Bill, it is so wonderful to be with you in Series 9 and I'm really looking forward to our, to our conversation with our guests. But before we get started, Phil, uh, earlier today I, I had to go off to Bunnings of all places in Sunshine to, to get some new shrubs and some new hedges. Now, I just was a little concerned about the type of things we're growing at Bunnings in Sunshine. Is that right? Is that right? Because, you know, we've got a Bunnings in Collingwood just down the road and mm-hmm. you can you can buy 73, well, I was about to say 73 varieties of kale, 42 varieties of quinoa, and I believe you can even get silken tofu trees. Wow, that just would not surprise me. Do you get um, sailor tattoos and, 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 and a beard and an apron with that? Look, you probably do. The other thing you can do, though, is that you can buy taps where you can get organic oat milk just pouring from the tap, hot and cold, and effervescent as well, too. I I just find that remarkable. You know, for people listening to this, I think we should be working for Tourism Fitzroy, don't you think? Uh, Already am, mate. Okay, because it just sounds so deliciously uh, uh, delightful as a destination. Look, I'd like to go back to the eastern suburbs in Sydney, the, the place where I was born, my, my original home turf, and talk to somebody who's actually got credibility in education. Okay. Why don't you so, ask the first question, mate? I will. I will. Enough of this nonsense because we cannot leave our guests waiting any longer. Daisy, it's so wonderful to have you on Game Changers Series 9, and I'm going to launch directly into our very first question, and that question is one that we ask all of our Game Changers guests. Tell us about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. I just really want the oat milk effervescent tap. Um, 
I clearly don't have a good enough story because I don't have that in my life. Um, no, I uh, started off actually in advertising. So I worked at Ogilvy Interactive and was there for a few years. And then I worked in web design and then I retrained as a teacher. I think I always wanted to become a teacher, but to be honest, the thought of being 21 or 22 and five foot flat and telling a group of 17-year-olds that I knew more about life than they did just didn't seem uh, possible to me. So I wanted to um, do something else first. And one thing I would say that that's been great for is um, the experience of having worked in business and with businesses has been great for the social science subjects that I teach, like commerce and business studies. But my first life, first love always has and will be history. So I... Of course it is. Because I'm a good person. I'm a good human. Um, so I started off as history and uh, business studies. And then uh, during my time at St. Cat's, I started teaching studies of religion, mm. which I actually love now equally to history. Sorry. Of course um, you and do. In my of time course you Cats, do. It's studies of religion is such a great subject, by the way. I started there as a teacher. I became the assistant head of department and then I was a digital integrator because I have the web design background. So I started, you know, having fun with, uh, you know, ed tech stuff a bit at school. And then I really fell in love with St. Catherine's Positive Psychology Program. So St. Cat's already had one, but it, it was kind of at that time, everyone was doing a little bit. And what it, what it kind of was at that point, because it was still quite new, was like, Everyone talked about grit all the time. Everyone talked about growth mindsets. And that's when um, they put me in the role and I got to really have fun and play with the idea of a program that goes from year 7 to 12 on positive psychology. And I did that for, I think, three years. And then we rebranded it as the Director of Wellbeing. And that meant that I could go beyond positive psychology and look at things like financial literacy, um, coercive control, a lot of um, political, not political stuff, but for example, responding to the Black Lives Matter stuff that was happening um, last year because students were interested in it. And I think that's kind of, for me, the relevance of, of a wellbeing program is that it can be responsive. And that was maybe more info than you wanted. No, not necessarily. I mean, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that and taking us to that place uh, of that journey that you've been on to, to the most recent uh, experience that you're sharing with us relating to, to well-being within a school context. We're going to go there. We're going to definitely go there in this conversation because positive education and psychology or strength-based positive education is something that we do want to talk about in relation to the science of learning in, in this chat with you today. But I just want to take us back a little bit before we go okay. to the present. That moment where you made a decision to shift from the advertising world that no doubt creatively was providing great uh, substance for you, but you made a conscious decision then to step into the space of education, a space that is deeply about service. What was that transition like for you to go from one industry that is fundamentally based on creativity, but also someone else's bottom line mm. to an industry where the bottom line isn't a profit and loss statement. The bottom line is the humans in front of us. So I think you. I think um, uh, the first part of that answer is I decided to do a graduate diploma of teaching thinking if I liked it, I would continue with it. Maybe I wouldn't. So I was very kind of have a go and fell madly in love with it. 
So I knew then automatically. I don't diss advertising. Some of my great greatest, some of my best friends work in advertising. Um, but uh, but I do think the area I got into with advertising was very much around um, strategy and mm-hmm. understanding not not just you know selling stuff, but understanding the way people think. And even now, the thing that drives me insane more than anything is bad usability. Mm-hmm. Like just even like you know shopping centers where the parking thing is in the wrong. I'm like, well, clearly it needs to be over there. You know, um, so I like the idea of how people think, and I think the gap. You know, I probably, if I'd spent a few more minutes thinking about this decision at the time, I probably could have gone, maybe I want to do psychology instead. But I I went with teaching. I loved it. I got a part-time job as a teacher's aide in a kindergarten class for a student with um, uh, on the autism spectrum. And I loved that, but also realised I was not designed to be a primary school teacher at all. And so, so that was kind of, so that was the decision, but looking back on it now, and especially where I've gotten to, I kind of think, oh, I don't, I don't ever regret going teaching, but I kind of think, oh, maybe I should have done teaching and or psychology or, or the two could have worked together. So there's so much in there about your own discovery, about uh, capacity and interest and passion and your purpose and what drives you, drives you forward. But like in advertising uh, and in that entire world, there's so much around psychological behavior that we need to understand about an audience, uh, their habits, uh, their interests. It's really a perfect transition into the world of education because when we're dealing with young people in front of us, in the absence of knowing them, Mm. um, it can be quite transactional, right? So I want to now take us to that place that you you shared with us a moment ago about the work of wellbeing within a school. What does wellbeing actually mean? So wellbeing um, in in St. Catharines, and I would say my view of it as well, because I think there is a lot that's not evidence-based, but is evidence-based psychology to promote your mental health and your well-being rather than just as a curative approach. So if you think traditionally, you know, you're feeling bad, you've maybe got anxiety or depression or you've got the signs of it, you go to a psychologist, they help you effectively get better. This is about using those same skills like cognitive behavior therapy and and other things to get you from a neutral point to a positive point and we know that's really important for students and if we didn't know it was really important for students before 2020 we sure as hell know it is now well absolutely and particularly for for those educators who who had to have the uh the remote learning experience in the great state of Victoria uh, for such a sustained period of time and and the value of of why wellness needs to come first uh, in all that we do within our school settings. It's really clear to us that you're very passionate about the implementation of positive ed within schools and and kind of effective pedagogy that not only promotes resilience, but what I'm hearing you say is promoting resourcefulness to empower Mm. these young people so they can take ownership of their their own identity and their own agency and, 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 you know, bounce back in times of great uncertainty, not only for the the young people in that care, but of course the staff that, that support them and the adults in their lives. Why is greater emphasis on social emotional competency crucial to the future of schooling? So um, there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, we know that students learn better when they are feeling mentally safe and feeling like they belong or psychologically safe and like they belong. And what does it take for a student to feel like they belong? Well, they need to trust the the peers and the teachers they're working with 
and they need consistency. So, um, so then that, of course, goes into things like behaviour management and it goes into things like how schools deal with, with friendship issues and how schools um, promote positive relationships. All of these things that um, those who think this is wishy-washy, uh, like, for example, Mark Latham or Andrew Bolt, would say that these are soft skills that don't need to be taught or shouldn't be taught and, you know, we should return to the three R's of education. I think what we're discovering now is that without these skills, we can't get to those three R's or the other important stuff we need to learn. Um, it's quite difficult explaining that to Neanderthals, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's like it's a it's 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 a fundamental thing, isn't it? And 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 uh, around helping a community to understand. That these are not soft skills; these are actually hard skills. And it's interesting. There's a couple of names that you mentioned there that, you know, I really enjoy the opportunity to to work with them on their um, their approach towards psychological safety and and uh, emotional intelligence as well too. But you know, it's it's and inclusion. Oh, inclusion, belonging, all all sorts yeah, of things, yeah. all sorts of things as well too. But look, if if we you know push push that that little frivolity aside for one moment. The challenge is that if you come from an earlier generation where it's about being stoic or it's mm -hmm. about pushing these things away, where we don't understand that there isn't just a correlative relationship, there is a causal relationship with this. So, um, look, we happen to be doing some work with the other St Catherine's um, oh, school yeah. in, uh, in Melbourne, in, 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 in Turak at the moment, which is holding a, I was just part of a meeting with um, um, some key staff. They're fabulous, fabulous school. Um, uh, really looking at the relationship between well-being and learner behaviours and the, the notion of academic care. And we're talking about the idea that that if you don't create these things, then this is less likely to happen. So therefore the role is if you if you don't get that, then it's hard to understand, isn't it? How can we help to educate communities? where there is no architecture of language around this. There is no conceptual background around this. And when you start mentioning these sorts of things, you may as well be talking voodoo at them and for, for all that, that they might think about this. How do we help people to move forward in their understanding that there is a way around this which doesn't just involve stoic grittiness? Okay, so, so one thing before I answer your question... I love stoicism. I know you're like the what? Yeah, yeah, look, Daisy, big fan of stoic, stoic grittiness and sto stoicism, but it's not the just the only answer. As I no, it's not the only answer, but also you cannot be stoic and focus on your character if you haven't got these skills to know how to deal with things when stuff is yeah. going on. Yeah. So you so actually to the people who go, oh, kids should just like suck it up and we all went through things and blah. like, well, you only got through those things because you actually kind of had these skills taught to you, potentially not even by your school, but by your parents. And this is where I think the overarching thing around the role of parents feeds into it, because I think we do have this situation where parents are expecting too much of schools and and, and we all expect kids at a certain age to be able to do some stuff, but if they're over-parented, they're not given those skills or that resilience or that resourcefulness or those opportunities to experience awkwardness and then understand the consequence of their actions. 
then they don't they don't have that underlying foundation of how to be a good human which you need to be able to get through things when you're older so i love your point there about that sort of partnership between the adults in the community to prepare students to thrive in their world i I love that notion um, in and around that the reality is that if schools don't teach this to families nobody else will there is no, yeah, and so, there, there, there is no, also, mod, you know, we are the modern parish. There is no other vehicle for us to teach parents this. And so I'm, 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 I'm interested in how do we help schools to communicate this with, with the people who just don't get it? Well, it's interesting you say, you know, we, I, I like that idea of schools being the modern parish, but I also think there is other places for parents to get the information and they are getting often bad information. So it's kind of, you know, if you, if you do all of your parenting via Google, um, you will inevitably find the scaredest, most scared parent telling you the most conservative stuff about what kids should be able to do and what they shouldn't be able to do. So, or Facebook groups or whatever it is. So I do think schools are the the greatest um, educators in everything, but the greatest educators of parents of what is sensible and, and what will help kids. And then... That and then hopefully parents will continue having those conversations. There's there's a lot of assumptions that goes on with kids at the moment, and and I think you know schools probably assume parents will have the conversations that we probably had with our parents when we were young, and parents assume schools are having those conversations, and then you get an eighteen year old who doesn't know where the stamp goes on an envelope. I want to switch attention for a moment to the way that you manage communication in a public discourse because. You're not backwards in coming forward. You, you, you project into a public space um, all of the nuance, all of the thinking. You, you, you assert yourself into a space that needs people to assert itself into. How do you take care of your own well-being in that public space? Firstly, I was kind of put into a public space first, so let's not pretend that's not the case. I, I try to only write about the stuff I know about. And I'm happy to be wrong and change things where possible. And I think, and this is something I'm always telling teenagers to, I test ideas out on friends. Like, you know, group chat therapy is is very good. And then you can kind of build it out. Your leadership is something that I really, really admire. You know, and it's, you know, this is the first time we've, you and I have ever had a conversation to the best of my knowledge. Um, and, And the way in which you play that out into that public sphere and demonstrate that vulnerability and role model um, that to others. How can we help other adults to recognise that impermeability is not well-being? Impermeability is not will, is not winning. I think it's I think it's just um, people being more honest and and I, I do think the term is overused at the moment, but authentic in in who they are online. And I think it's that idea of not putting on a mask when you go online, but just being yourself. You know, I think um, for me, I experience seeing, um, you know, people say horrible things about my dad, you know, and my mum to a lesser extent, but more my dad. And um, and the thing that, that I was able to always hold on to that is knowing that what they said about him was not him. And that was, and, and there's an integrity to who he is. It would have been a different situation if I had a different father. So, for me, it's kind of I think the more we can encourage teachers and, and leaders and teenagers to be who they are 
when they're online or, or make the decision to only show a part of themselves online, um, then w- it's it's the real world online. It's not a fake version of ourselves. I, I really respect that and, and the notion of stepping into that space of vulnerability that you're sharing and, and being your authentic self. I think that's really noble. And, and I would I would say that Phil and I in particular in, in our posts, our own blogs, uh, Phil writes such beautiful poetry that he shares with the world, gives an insight into who we are and how we think and who we continue to aspire to become, you know, because we're, we're still learning. We're still, we're still on a journey. The challenge, of course, for the educator and, or for the student or for anyone is that this 24-hour news cycle can really tear at the fabric of that. And when people are, have a preparedness to show themselves, in our country, there seems to be this thing then that happens where there's a pylon or an attack uh, and people are ultimately really challenged by that authenticity and honesty. And they throw out, you know, unhelpful phrases like, that, oh, you're just far too woke now. You know, what a, yeah. what a, what, what a nonsense that is because all we're doing is showing our humanness. At times we are, um, uh, are bold and courageous, but at other times we're fragile and, you know, we're, we're broken and we share that. And then we're criticised. And I know so many educational friends who are reluctant to enter into that space because of the pile on an attack. And can I tell you, then psychologically that transfers into their learning community. They are worried that in that space, when they are prepared to give of themselves, someone somewhere will take issue with it and perhaps even manipulate that truth. So, yeah, I think, sorry, there are a few things there. I'm really loving this, by the way. It's really fun. Um, Firstly, the reason someone attacks you on Twitter for something stupid actually has very little to do with you. It's to do with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those things. Um, and Twitter is that thing where it's like, if you say, I really like orange juice, they go, well, why do you hate apples? There is Twitter is not the place for nuance. But I do also think there's another thing there in some teachers. And I think in, in, in learning communities, it's really important that they can be honest and, and, and authentic. But I do think there's something in, in the fact that teachers often do want to be private, especially in the classroom. They don't want to be, you know, where a lot of people have, so a lot of people have a public Instagram. I have a public Instagram, makes sense, books, blah, 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 crochet. But um, I have friends who are teachers who have public Instagrams that are not their names and it's just about the things they're into. So maybe it's a food blog or maybe it's a crafting thing. I think that teachers have that right to have a personal and private life that students can't Google I also think we should be telling students, like, don't Google. Why are you Googling your teachers? But we all do it. Um, so I do think there's something there. But And I think it, it's an interesting point. I think with uh, you're kind of touching on this idea of people being cancelled. I think yep. there's something really interesting at the moment with the, the idea of role models. And I think that we are, we are looking for role models on, in the media and we're putting too much pressure on them, like, we can't expect people to always be exactly the same and people change and people grow and people change their minds. Um, so I do think there's something in, in that conversation. And for me, I really remember that because I, for some reason, really strongly remember as a teenager kind of like the Canterbury Bulldogs um, NRL stuff and being like, wow, these guys that should be role models aren't and being like, well, actually, hang on, they're like guys in their 20s and so are we putting too much pressure on them or what is the contract you sign and and where and 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 why are they role models to so many people because they can run across the field and throw a ball, kick a ball even. I share what you're saying because there's no doubt that uh, teachers are held 
to a different kind of moral standard in many ways. Uh, And and probably rightfully so, because they are dealing with and supporting our most vulnerable and child protection has got to be sacrosanct. Mm. Uh, But we also have to realise that uh, teachers are equally fallible and that at different points in their life, uh, things happen that impact upon their judgment or or, um, their capacity to always be that example. I think it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge that I think we should all aspire towards, you know, uh, achieving uh, and, and being the positive role model because it's very clear that the young people in our care, whether it's uh, in an all-girls school or boys' school or co-ed environment, uh, are desperate for really good character role models and mm. people that they can uh, and look towards. But at the same time, it's also good to hear those stories of when things didn't go well or when they did make those mistakes because they're the lived experiences that that show that, life isn't linear, uh, that it can get quite messy uh, and, and interesting. Talking about messy, I want to now move to the segue. That, 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 that was my attempt at a segue, by the way, to, to your book. Okay. Risks to take with your kids. Um, in that particular book, you find risks that can build physical uh, skills, social confidence, and, and the character development. And you explore that as young kids are entering into those kind of risky teenage years. Mm. How can we nurture the necessary resourcefulness, resilience, and independence in kids as they learn to take their own risks? By letting them take the risks, like by not stopping them. Um, I think parents are so quick to say, be careful or don't do that. And that stops the kid learning their own risk profile. Mm -hmm. And I've said this a few times now, so sorry if you've heard it. If I didn't have my son first, I wouldn't have written that book. Like if I had my daughter first, I'd be, I, the book would never have come to mind because my son just like wanted to do stuff and I had to be like, oh, crap, what, like, what's my response to this going to be? And it was in the experience of raising Jack that I realised I need to let him do this so he knows not to do it again. You shared with us though earlier, you took a risk. You went from one career to the next, right? Look, I think risk in, in any form is, is, is a good thing, um, especially when you've got friends and family that can support you. It, it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher in a school. Uh, I've got year nine students. How, how do I encourage them during their formative years of discovering so much about their own biology, their own consciousness, their own purpose, their own fitting in? How do I help them step into their own agency? Because you're you're talking about going not only from identity and learner agency into the place of contributor and challenger agency. How do I how do I help a young teen with everything else going on in their in their head and, and, and physical changes? How do I help them continue to take those risks that it's going to help them to grow? So on the um, teacher. I, I don't actually think for teenagers the conversation, the thing is risks. I think it's, and I've got a second book that's coming out next year that's about questions for teenagers. I think it's about conversations that get teenagers to reflect. Mm-hmm. So I think the one thing that teenagers need is perspective, like having conversations around like, yeah, I get that you wanted to do this, but did you think that this could have been one? Like did you think of it from different perspectives? So like, Oh, we had like a muck up day a few years ago and some of the year 12 girls put potatoes around the classrooms. It's like, it was like just such an inane idea, but they didn't calculate that the year nine students were then going to throw the potatoes at each other and there would be smashed potatoes all over the room. And to their credit, they're like, we didn't, 
we were just putting potatoes and we thought people would be like, why is there a potato there? We didn't think year nine students would do that. And it's like, yeah, but actually that's kind of your job to think that through. Yeah, it's, look, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because in schools, there's a temptation to make everything smooth, isn't there? And I, I really worry about smooth in schools because I reckon smooth just means you've hidden the rough bits from, yeah. from everybody else. And the reality is that the only way you learn stuff, most people learn stuff like that is, is by doing it. I, I think you have to make mistakes, don't you? And if we don't, if we, if, we, if we create a perception of perfection around that, you know, maybe you don't need to leave the potatoes around because the only way you learn that doing stuff like that is, you know, put... put Potato becomes a dangerous weapon in the hand of a uh, of a uh, a well trained um, softballer or javelin thrower, doesn't it? It really does. Hey, I want to switch the conversation if I can and start talking nerdy education stuff at you. Yeah. Even I think we probably explored a whole range of stuff, which is about you. But um, so love the love the talk about about evidence. Love the talk about character. Mm-hmm. Um, our field and my field in particular, I'm, I'm at the moment deep 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 into the notion of measuring character and measuring character development by tracking recognizable behaviors mm-hmm. in students i don't know if you can measure inside someone's heart and you certainly can't give them a b plus for integrity but what you can do is describe a set of behaviors and then point out the correlation between those behaviors and what we're seeing over here and perhaps those those question prompts for teenagers are exactly mm-hmm. about those questions of well, if, if you're doing that, it puts you in the sandbox. And if you're doing that, it puts you outside the sandbox. And you want to be in or outside the sandbox. And what does that look like along the way? In the field of wellness, and we talked about this earlier, in the field of well-being, what are some of the measures that learning communities can deploy to assess, to measure the wellness of their students, their well-being, the wellness of staff, the overall health of the community they serve. How can how, how can we make this less less mysterious and more practical? Okay, so the first thing is when lockdown started last year, we started at St Catherine's, my old school. They started using a program called Ripple, which is a um, wellbeing tracker. So each day the girls would get an email and it would track them on things like, um, and I'm going to get this wrong, but how well do they feel, like health-wise, how stressed are they? how safe do they feel, how they eat, and some other things like that, right? So I think there's six or seven. That was a really good baseline way of finding out how students were going, especially during lockdown, and meant that the year mentors could look at it and be like, hey, I noticed you've done, I just noticed that you haven't put, um, you've, you've been really bad for stress recently, like your stress has been bad. So like what what's going on or is there anything we can help with? But there are other things that schools can use, like, how often are students turning up late or how often, um, you know, things as even as much as where are they sitting in the playground? Um, there's, there is, and then obviously triangulating all this data with things like their exam results, their assessments, attendance, um, things that all paint a picture into how a student is going in general. But um, last year, and I think that we will start to see it more, not just Ripple, there are other ones, um, but business, you know, organisations that, that help students track wellbeing and not just as a once a year thing, but as a, as a continuum. Um, yes, and Ripple's one very effective way of doing that. And we, we know about the work that, um, that Skodal are doing in that space mm. too. So there's, you know, there's lots of really, really good things in there. The, the sort of stuff you're describing, it's, it's, it's not mysterious, is it? It's, just, it's actually just taking common sense 
things like attendance. Attendance is a really a really solid indicator of many, many different things. Effort is a thing that most teachers can get onto, but tracking variance in effort and uh, over time is, a, is, a, is another thing that we can do. What are some of the things that might be less obvious that our understanding of positive psychology now might help us to do, um, to track, to, to look out for, to be aware of um, uh, in, in, in the wellness and well-being of, of the children in our care, but also the adults in our community? So if a student ever comes and talks to me about, you know, how they're feeling or even like end of class, that kind of thing, and they're saying they're stressed, I always look at like the five five main factors of, of how you're feeling. So there's obviously sleep, which I think is massively under-discussed and, and need for all of us to get a proper night's sleep, but especially teenagers. Um, how they're eating, like have they eaten properly or have they been eating crap? Have they exercised? And especially during lockdown, I remember having a few Zoom chats with students and, and we had, um, it wasn't too long, it was like a week or two where it was just crappy weather and I just noticed a downhill in their world, in their, just in their mood because they hadn't been able to go out for a walk each day. Um, I've forgotten what I'm up to now. How, how, how much work they have on or how, what their external stresses are and their relationships and and. The other and the biggest thing I think we all saw in lockdown was the importance of connection and talking to people and talking on the phone or Zoom being far better for you than texting. So that's something that it's probably hard to measure that as a whole school. But if you are a teacher facing a student or as a year mentor or a class teacher, these are like, you know, just part of that toolkit of things you can try and figure out where they're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and look, I I, I have a memory of a. Of a, of a principal's conference, the, the Association of Heads of Independent Schools Australia at the, had a conference in Queenstown. I think the last, well, the second last one they had before lockdown, so this would have been about 2017 maybe, and um, fantastic guy from Auckland University who's a sleep, sleep scientist, but a, mm. former, a former Buddhist priest as well too. So knows I've seen thing. him. He's amazing. Yeah, so I wish I could remember his, his name off the top of my head um, right now, but he did this and... and Basically, you know, here's this room full of people trying to take care of um, children. And he just looked at us and he said, how many of you can remember the last time you had a good night's sleep and not a single hand went up in the room? How do we help teachers to learn to take care of themselves so that they can take care of the kids in their care? So this is almost um, this is this is such a good circular conversation to have around this because I think positive education or any well-being education is only going to be done well and delivered well and delivery is ninety percent of it if it's being delivered by someone who believes in it and has had it has benefited from it and someone who benefits from it and and, and believes it is only going to do that if they have been taught it themselves. So it's kind of like. You need the teacher to know it to understand the benefits so they can then go and teach it to the students and then you have a whole community that believes in it because there's nothing worse than having an overstressed, overtired teacher telling you the benefits of a good night's sleep because no one's going to believe it. Um, yep. And we do we have a massive issue with teacher burnout. We're seeing, you know, I don't know if you guys get like the seek emails, but just constantly there are teaching jobs coming up because people are just leaving. They're taking breaks they're they're burning out and it's 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 really sad and and that is going to 
lead to huge issues societally, but also hopefully it will lead to a, a difference in how we talk to teachers. But protecting teacher wellbeing is so important. One thing that I quite often see, and 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 again, um, maybe this is just one of those things that's less obvious, that when I see teachers whose wellbeing is really, really stressed and stretched, they point the finger automatically at somebody else as the source of the, their lack of well-being. Now, there's there's social conditions, there's systemic conditions, there's institution, there's cultural reasons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, probably you're the person who has to look to your own well-being and, and, and if changes have got to be made, you're the only person who can make those decisions around that. I see the same thing with kids again and again. It's, it's that notion of self-determination I think is mm. really, really important. But if you don't feel empowered, if you don't feel equipped and if you don't feel enabled by the tools around the, that you've been given or if you don't have tools or if there's pressures being put to bear, then quite often you'll feel as though you can't and you, you don't have the agency um, uh, uh, around that. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's such an interesting field. Adriano, I know you're bursting to ask something of relevance rather than me just rambling on here. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just, I've been sitting here listening to both of you have this, this really rich and important conversation. I love what you said, Daisy, about the preparedness of the adult in that space, believing its value. Mm. And when we give things value in schools, kids feel it. Yeah. Young people know its legitimacy by how we present it in terms of time, energy, preparation, and so on. It's like our, our own classroom practice. And my frustration has always been that well-being or wellness, whichever way you want to cut it, has always been on the periphery. It's always been this thing that happens maybe once or twice a week, uh, you know, and then, and then when things get really tough where we have to have conversations around mental health, or sexual orientation and identity, cultural identity and belonging uh, and all the things that require a deft hand and a sensitive uh, approach and having empathy for the other. But at the same time, they need to be spoken about. They need to be discussed and explored mm. with young people in our care. And so many of our colleagues balk at the idea because, because they generally don't feel they have the skills equipped to do it. So they'll go into it in a very transactional way as opposed to, to the goal of the transformation. And so that's a frustration that I've always had and that why we have, we don't flip the system and make it the, the priority priority in school, uh, which I suppose is an aspiration of a director of wellbeing. I suppose it's an aspiration of the notion of positive education uh, and and the work of people like you know um, Lee Waters and 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 you know positive psych place here in, in, in Uni Melbourne and what they're trying to do uh, around strength based education. My question to you is: What have you learnt about yourself? through the teaching and the empowerment of positive education? I've learned that it's okay to feel crap sometimes and the only way out of a negative emotion is through it. And I think that um, I've learned that there are some things that I can control around my mental health, but then there are other influences that I need to remove. So, mm -hmm. um, and that and that's a, a big thing to learn. Yeah, and I've learned that that, being honest when talking to students about this is far more effective than trying to seem like we're always in a good mood all the time. I am a massive fan of gratitude and I know that a lot of people roll their eyes at it now. I do think that there is a, a propensity to fall into entitlement, especially in independent yep. schools and that kind of thing. Um, so gratitude is really important and it, it 
it has been overdone, it can be overdone, but an authentic sense of gratitude is important. What's something that you've tried in your work that you wouldn't do again? Mindfulness. Mm. Like I've tried, like here's, so I've, I've tried it with students doing it in wellbeing groups. Uh-huh. But again, it's that thing of if one of the teachers isn't into it, it doesn't work. I think mindfulness should not be all of year 10 or all of year 11 is doing it. I think it's actually you make it an optional thing. A few students come, then they say it's good, build it up from there. Yeah, that's really interesting that you shared that just then because we know that there are so many kind of um, well-being programs within schools where now mindfulness is, is a constant. I agree with you. I actually feel it has great value, but much like prayer, I find it's a personal experience and encounter yeah. and, and an experience where if we created the space for, for young people within our schools throughout their day, for them to opt in and make a decision on how they're going to use that time, whether mm. it is going to chapel for prayer, whether it is uh, uh, sitting in terms of mindfulness, whether it is going to see a fitness coach, you know, and doing some type of workout yeah. or run, uh, it's something like that. Uh, I, I feel that this part of the solution has got to be around inviting young people into spaces where they can self-regulate. But, but our role is then to simply equip them with the tools in the first instance for them to make those choices. Yeah, exactly like you say. It's kind of like about giving them agency yes. to choose how they want to do that. So, yes. you know, for some students, you say it might be prayer. For some, it might be going for a run. For some, it might be, I don't know, like it could be for me doing crochet for half an hour. You know, it's yes. whatever it is that calms you down. Yeah, my mum knit squares from Mongolia. I found meditation really, really useful when I used it as a prelude to prayer. Yeah. You know, when I use it as a as a as a way of just getting myself in the space where I could talk to God and talk to others uh, around through that sort of relationship in that mm. way, um, it worked for me because it was a personalised experience. And and so much of what what I'm what I've learned from you today, Daisy, is about a combination of common sense, but also that deep reflection. On what is going on, what is going on in the life of a person, and encouraging them to do that too, and finding those moments to step back and and yeah, think think deeply and to notice and observe and listen. Um, these are all things that we just need to keep doing, aren't they? Yeah. Keep learning on. Hey, um, thank you. It's been such a good chat today. Yeah, it's been awesome. fantastic. Really, really learned so much. You, you, as I said. Earlier, you, 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 you've taken on a public role um, and perhaps you might not have asked for that, but you have adopted that. And, and through what you do, through your modelling, through your scaffolding for others, um, through the work that you do, um, you're providing a way forward for people to make well-being something that is grounded and it's mm-hmm. real and that you can add to the toolkit. Um, to help people become their best selves. Thank you so much for being on Game Changers today. Thanks for having me. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.